This is Beat the Closing Line with Nicole, Mo, and Eli. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to thelines.com. I am back, your host, Nicole Russo. Hopefully, Eli didn't do too good of a job last week filling in as host, so I still have a job this week. But yes, I am back with resident NFL analysts Eli Hershkovich and Mo Nawara from thelines.com. Did you guys miss me? We did, Nicole. <laughs> we really did. And apparently, you spent your time on a great vacation and buying some Christmas ornaments as well that I want you to share with the audience <laughs> later on. But we went two and two with our bets last week. I didn't start off too hot with the Packers on Thursday Night Football. Green Bay is dead to me, but I think Mo is going back to the well with Aaron Rodgers. So I wish him well there. Yes, we will get into my travels, my Christmas ornaments a little bit later. As always, you know, every Tuesday we are taking a look at opening NFL lines, discussing bets that we like and how we think they might change as we inch closer to game time. Before we dive into today's discussion, make sure you give this video a thumbs up, subscribe and ring the bell for notifications so you know every time we post a new video. And if you are listening to us where you get your podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Beat the Closing Line pod and if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review for a chance to win an Amazon gift card. The guys are now 24-17 and one with our against the spread picks on the podcast so far. Eli, you kind of touched on last week. Mo, do you want to give us a little bit of an update before we get into our week 12 bets? It was, uh, I don't know, it's the same thing every week for me, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> I. I do very well, like, but my favorite play just gets wrecked, which is exactly what happened last week. <laughs> the Giants, my, I guess they weren't my, the Chargers were actually my favorite, but the line moved so much that like when we had to do our staff bets, I wrote up the Giants and, uh, yeah, let's <laughs> minus three wasn't a good outcome there. Uh, other than that, I did really, really well though. It was actually a really good week for me. I, I hit Justin Fields passing under, which looked pretty hairy in the fourth quarter when he was only 20 yards away but uh threw through a pick on the last drive that saved me um that being said I think it was a good play I busted coverage for 40 yard touchdown and overall I think the it was a good week for me and and I think honestly Steven should be sending me a pizza if there was any justice <laughs> in the world but uh you know the Falcons ended up pushing when I think uh the rightful outcome was probably a Falcons cover What's this thing going on between you and Steven and having to like all these side bets going on? Are we missing? We're, should we be doing this? I feel like we're missing out on some of the fun. <laughs> I'm always open to it. Uh, <laughs> definitely open to side bets. I feel like it's interesting because like I, I think a lot of us think about football the same way uh, generally, uh, but somehow it kind of ends up being... Oh man, that was amazing. Somebody just rode by on a bike, one hand, holding up their coffee, steering the bike with one hand. That was awesome. Isn't it like snowing where you are? <laughs> no, I mean, it's actually nice today. It's it was nice. it was cold. But uh <laughs> no, I feel like even though we think about football the same way in, in a lot of a lot of ways, there's still a lot of differing opinions on the staff in, in a lot of cases. That that makes for some good uh some good content and some good side bets for sure. And of course, all of that content is over on thelines.com. You should definitely be visiting if you aren't already. But all right, let's take it into our first bet of week 12. 
back on the Giants. So the Giants take on the Cowboys Thanksgiving Day. This is the first time since week eight that the Giants are not favored in their matchup, and they are massive nine and a half point underdogs. But Eli, you aren't looking at the spread for this one. You're switching things up a little bit. You like the under 44 and a half. So tell us a little bit more about this pick. Yeah, I'll say it every week. And (laughs) this week is no exception. I hate the card this week and wanted to have some sort of Thanksgiving bet for the people. So I'm going with Giants Cowboys under. Seriously, I do like this total a lot. I think it plays both ways, whether the Giants are able to hang around and potentially win this game outright is around a eight or nine point road underdog as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, or if the Cowboys win this game by double digits and cover the point spread. So if you go back to week three, Dallas got the best of this rivalry, winning by a possession, outgaining New York in yards per play by 1.4 yards per play. So even though that game was close and the Giants were up late in the third quarter, Dallas's passing attack, which was then led by Cooper Rush, was able to manufacture a lot of chunk plays. C.D. Lamb, besides the drop in the first half, came through for Rush and the Cowboys dominated on the ground. Looking at this from New York's perspective, first and foremost, if the Giants are able to hang around in this game, and again, this applies to the total with it being a lower total and a higher point spread. If you look at the Giants and their seven wins this season, they all come by one score and they experienced some negative aggression last week, unfortunately for Mo against the Lions, and you would expect it to come this time around in Dallas. But if this game can be competitive and if the Giants can hang around, they're going to be able to do so by running the football. Dallas's rushing defense is very exploitable, even though the Giants offensive line is a little banged up with Feliciano and Evan Neal potentially being out this week. Cowboys rank bottom 10 in the NFL in run-stop win rate. They also have a below-average rushing EPA defensively, expected points added per carry. So if the Giants can manufacture some chunk plays on the ground with Saquon Barkley, keep Dak Prescott on the sidelines, that applies to the total because then you're looking at a shortened clock and, again, the total likely going under. But if the Cowboys are able to get up by double digits throughout this game, maybe into the second half, they're going to be able to maneuver the clock and manage the clock with their ground game as well. The Giants are allowing the eighth highest rushing EPA. So Cowboys, similar to New York, can get some chunk plays on the ground, explosive rushing plays. Either way, wherever this game goes, game script-wise on either side, offensively, I think this goes under the total. And Mo, you can see this going under the total as well because you don't know if the Giants are going to be able to move the ball through the air. So what's your take on this one? Yeah, Eli caught me flat-footed with this one. Uh, I I think this is the first uh, total he's talked about all year. Uh, (laughs) I know, I was switching things up. Um, Yeah, I, I didn't have much of an opinion on this one, but I definitely could see this one going under because of the Giants offense. I really have no idea how they're going to throw the ball or if they can throw the ball. They, uh, one thing Eli uh, didn't mention there was looks like WR1-ish. Wandale Robinson is going to be out for the year with a torn ACL. I say ish because Darius Slayton's pretty good. I, I don't know. He might be He might be the, the better option there, to be honest. But uh, definitely the security blanket, Wandale, more of a, a shorter route type of guy. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. 
this is already a bad passing offense and now losing Wandale and not having Evan Neal. And yeah, it's, it's a rough look for the giants right now on offense. Uh, not, not being able to just, just destroy the lions. I mean, when everyone else just hangs 30 on this team. Yeah. And now they face the Cowboys. Uh, one thing, uh, though to look for here, Micah Parsons did get hurt late in that game. It didn't, look very good I could see them maybe holding him out I'm reading that he's got ankle and knee injuries which honestly doesn't really surprise me when I saw that play he did kind of get uh a body rolled up on the the side of his leg so that's never a good thing and um without him that would obviously help the Giants offense quite a bit uh Marcus Lawrence too didn't or wasn't supposed to practice if they did have, a, did have a practice on Monday. Yeah, it's all estimated because of the short week. Um, it, it really just comes down to the game script a lot for me here. Like if Daniel Jones is a negative script, it was, I mean, they were down against the Lions, not down big, but they were down a couple scores, I think, in the second half, and, and then it got kind of ugly. He threw a couple picks. If they can't get their running game going early, then I, I think – we could see some sacks, some turnovers. It could get ugly here. Uh, it's kind of weird. Like you want to see the giants moving the ball on the ground in order for this under to come in, which is like kind of paradoxic almost, but you just, it'll slow the game down. It'll keep the clock running. And ultimately, I mean, it's the giants offense, you know, they'll probably kick a lot of field goals. Uh, and, and, and it's an interesting matchup because when I watched Dallas and, well, the raw numbers say Dallas doesn't have a good run defense. I don't think they're good when I watch them, but the metrics don't hate them. Like, uh, success rate has them pretty, pretty high. I think, um, DVOA EPA, these are like in the middle to higher end, I think. So, uh, kind of a interesting matchup. We'll, we'll see if the giants are able to run the ball there. Uh, they really struggled against the lions, which was honestly shocking. All right, we're going to take it into another Thursday game, which are the Patriots and the Vikings. Patriots are going to head to Minnesota for the third and final Thanksgiving game of the day. The Patriots are coming off of one of the most underwhelming games of the season. I was bored to tears watching that game until <laughs> they pulled off the 10-3 victory against the Jets thanks to an 84-yard punt return for a touchdown with five seconds left in the game. Poor Jets. Uh, meanwhile, the Vikings were absolutely trampled by the Cowboys in their 40-3 loss against them. But, Mo, you think this is a buy-low spot for Minnesota, so why do you like them at minus 2.5 here? Yeah, so when we were looking at the look-ahead lines on this one, um, we see that the Vikings were above three. Uh, they were at minus three and a half, um, and I thought that was fair. If anything, I thought maybe they should be minus four in that spot um, here at home against the Patriots. But after last week's results, we see them move down to minus two and a half. There's even a cheap minus two and a half this morning. I'm not sure if it's still there, but I think Caesars had a minus 105 on minus two and a half. And that's just 
a really good buy spot for Minnesota, I think. Uh, we're buying as low as possible on the Vikes after just, you know, this is one of my rules. Bet the team that looked the worst last week. I, I don't think anybody <laughs> looked worse than the Vikings. Maybe the Jets, uh, but the Vikings uh, got absolutely mollywopped here by the Molly-wopped. by the Cowboys. Uh, what's <laughs> so interesting about this line move is the market already hated the Vikings. So then they get smacked by the Cowboys, which clearly when they're home underdogs uh, as an eight and one team, the market is not obviously that shocked. It shouldn't be, but then the line moves through a key number. Uh, it seems really weird to me um, that that was a due spot basically for the Vikings to eventually get whacked. We knew it was going to happen at some point. And this is a brutal matchup for them. Um, Dallas, that is, uh, you know, they bring the pressure that makes Kirk Cousins crumble. And I know the Patriots have a very good pressure rate as well. They're actually second in pressure rate. But I think that's a little bit inflated by playing against some absolutely god-awful quarterbacks. Um, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, Sam Ehlinger, and Justin Fields was the last four quarterbacks they played. Love Justin Fields, but... His awareness in the pocket isn't the best for sure. Um, and I, I think it's just this is not near as scary of a pass rush to me as what Dallas is bringing to the table. So I, I, I don't think it's like the worst spot for the Vikings offense, but man, nobody is talking about really how bad Mac Jones has been. Uh, he's not, I, I know Zach Wilson has just been atrocious, but he has not been much better than Zach Wilson. And he wasn't much better last week either. Uh, I don't think if the Vikings can just score some medium amount of points, I don't see the Patriots keeping up. Um, one thing to watch for is definitely Christian Darisaw, though. Uh, short week, he's hurting. I'm not sure if that key, uh, you know, left tackle there for the Vikings, if he's going to be able to play. But yeah, I, I, I don't like this Viking secondary. I've been saying it all year. And um, I just think it's a good matchup for them because now they're playing a really bad passing offense in the, in the Patriots. So I think under a key number here at home uh, with the Patriots having to travel on a short week, I, I like it. And, and we've seen when the Patriots have success, it's playing these god-awful quarterbacks like Bill Belichick, puts out these defensive game plans that absolutely completely stymie these guys. But Kirk Cousins, you know, say what you want about him. And definitely I have, and a lot of people have, but, you know, he's still a seasoned veteran and he's not going to just go out there and look like a completely clueless idiot like Sam Ehlinger and Zach Wilson. Eli, any thoughts on this one before we move on to our WTF segment of the day? Yes, which I'm very excited for, but... (laughs) First and foremost, with the nightcap of the Thanksgiving triple header, I probably would have ended up on New England if I could have gotten a flat or minus 110 at plus three, but obviously that's gone. And like Mo said, you're getting cheap Minnesota minus two and a halfs out there. No Darisaw, like you mentioned. And I get what you're saying about New England taking advantage of some weaker offensive lines, but the Vikings interior offensive line is very exploitable. So, and then you factor in with Derrissaw exceeding expectations this year at left tackle and having to likely plug and play there. Patriots pass defense, which was supposed to be a weak spot this season, 
number one in dropback EPA, number one in opponents dropback success rate. So this man-to-man coverage, which was again expected to shift to a zone defense, hasn't, and they played very well even without an elite coverage cornerback. I get it. You're betting on or hypothetically betting on Mac Jones if you decide to go with the Patriots, but I can't back primetime Kirk Cousins here, Mo. I apologize. I'm not saying I'm back in New England, but I think the total is low enough to where I can't have a piece of that. So I'm not going to be betting this game. And I wish you wish you the best of luck. What the f- All right. It is time for our WTF segment, which is basically just stories from my last week of travel because I found <laughs> out some very interesting things when I went to Iceland that I think you guys might enjoy. So as we all know, it's a it's a Game of Thrones filming site. Got to see some cool spots. Did not get to see the Northern Lights. I was very bummed, but I thought this was very interesting and it's probably a fun fact that most people out there don't know. So we were doing a walking tour with Tomas. I think that's how you pronounce it. Pronounce it. Thomas, he said he was okay with because we're Hopefully all... Hopefully he's listening to the podcast. We're all Americans. Tom, yeah, he's like, mm, you're all Americans. You can call me Thomas. Yes, Thomas, I hope you're listening. So he's letting us know that in the beautiful country of Iceland, not many people come in and not many people go out. So they're very proud to be able to track their, you know, lineage all the way back, like 4,000 years from when the Vikings came in. And, you know, everyone, they they just, they're one big happy family on this island of 350,000 people. Um, but yeah, when nobody comes in and nobody leaves your island, that means that you are all related. Um, so what the government of Iceland has had to do is create an app where you can um, you also can't identify people by surnames. They do not have surnames in Iceland, so you can't use your last name to track your family lineage. It's not how it works. So Iceland has had to create an app. Um, So when you meet someone at a bar, the question is not whether or not they are related. The answer is yes, they are. The question is how related are you? Um, And Iceland has said, as long as you go five generations back, cousin-wise, you are good to go to date. (laughs) So um, there's a nice little handy-dandy app where you can you know, put your name in, trace your lineage and just make sure that the hot girl guy or whoever you're hitting on at the bar isn't too close of a cousin for you to date and procreate with. And that has made Iceland the number one country of genealogical studies in the world because there's a lot of mutations going on over there. So just a little fun fact from my uh, from my from my adventures, guys, I thought you might be interested to know. Yeah, a lot of surprising things happening today on the podcast. For one, I bet a total. First time all year we've had that on the podcast. Mo back the Vikings after all the crap we threw Minnesota last week. We literally spent, Nicole, without you, 10 minutes ranting about how the Vikings (laughs) are misperceived in the market. Granted, the market is bad against them pretty much. This is what happens when I'm not on the pod. Right. And then you come back on the podcast and proceed to talk about for about two minutes about incest. So we are clearly, clearly taking this podcast to another level. But who would have known out there that Iceland is the land of ice and fire and also the land of incest. So I'm just letting them I'm just educating the people out there. Did you have any idea of that? Like, what was your perception of going to Iceland in the first place? 
No, I didn't. Ha- I was just like, oh, we're going to go see some lava rocks and the northern lights. And like, we're I'm going to live out my nerd dreams of like seeing where Jon Snow filmed some of his scenes in Game of Thrones and got all of that. But also, you know, got a little bit more information than I had originally wanted. They also are the safest country in the world. They have no police. Despite incest. Despite incest. Like, despite all these mutations, like, nobody's gone crazy. They're the safest country in the world. They barely have any police. The jail has no security. And there's a five-year wait list to get into jail. So imagine that. They actually had a prisoner three years ago walk out of the jail, get on a flight to Barcelona, write the police saying he needed just a little bit of a break and he'd be back in a week. So, I mean, (laughs) things are quite different over there. Should we get back no, into any, f- any takes? Should we get back into football? Do you guys want to, you know, I feel like my I've- quick, my quick plug is going to be that <laughs> since you say you learned this on a walking tour, I just wanted to say this is actually a great idea for people who have never done it. When you're traveling, take these walking tours. You do learn a lot of local stuff. It's actually you really do. cool. So definitely, uh, they're free. Usually you just tip the guide at the end. These are a great way to figure out the uh, local stuff, including apparently genealogy and uh, (laughs) stuff like that. I can't say I've learned that sort of thing online, but that's the sort of thing you can learn. Yeah. Beat the closing line slash tripadvisor.com. Like we're giving you everything you need to know for your football related bets and for travel. But all right. You're listening to the lines.com podcast network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Back to football, as promised. We are picking it back up with the Raiders, who are on the road for the second straight week to take on the Seattle Seahawks after finally ending a three-game losing streak with a win over the fabulous Denver Broncos. They have to feel so excited about that win. Last weekend, the Seahawks are coming off of a bye, still leading the NFC West after a Week 10 loss to the Bucks in Germany. Eli, you like the Raiders here at plus three and a half. I know it might sound absurd after like you mentioned Las Vegas underperforming in terms of what the market may be expected. But if you look at all their one score variants last year and facing some COVID quarterbacks, a product of what we dealt with last season, then maybe you would have thought otherwise, but I do think the market is a little too low on Las Vegas this week, even though they've been bet down from where this line opened on Sunday. I think Seattle was around a Four, four and a half point favorite on the opener. Now it's down to Seahawks minus three and a half. So Vegas says over the key number of three of the field of a field goal. And you think about how Seattle has outperformed expectations, especially offensively with Geno Smith. He ranks top 10 in completion percentage over expected top 10 in dropback EPA plus completion percentage over expected. And the Seahawks have generated the fourth highest yards per play this season. 
but they are allowing a bottom 15 opponent's yards per play. So that means that they're giving up chunk plays on the other side of the ball. And where they're most exploitable is against the pass. Kind of similar, not similar to what I was talking about with the first matchup with the total, but in terms of a defense having a particular area where the opposition can exploit them like the Giants if they're able to milk the clock and run the ball against Dallas. Vegas can have some success offensively with Derek Carr and Devontae Adams in that passing attack if they can generate chunk plays against an exploitable Seahawks passing defense. And Seattle is allowing the ninth highest dropback EPA in the NFL, and Las Vegas wants to throw it a bunch. They've accrued the sixth highest passing percentage in the NFL, so they want to throw it a lot. Seattle can be had through the air. And you go back to last week again with that overtime win over the Raiders. Yes, it seemed like a little bit of a flawed final score. Yes, it's difficult to back this Vegas team because of their a defense that can be had as well. And like I mentioned, Geno Smith and the Seahawks offense can generate explosive passing plays. But I'm going to back Las Vegas to keep this game within a field goal. And also, I just think the Raiders are a little bit undervalued in the market as a whole offensively considering when you take their offense and you adjust it for the opponent, they rank number 12 in football outsiders DVOA on that side of the ball. So I'll be taking the Raiders plus three and a half. They keep this game within a field goal, at least if not win this one outright. And Mo, you're a little bit on the fence with this one with where the number's currently sitting. Yeah, this is back to me and Eli both being skeptical, I guess, of what the other person is doing. So uh, I'm, I'm leaning the other way, just based purely on power numbers. I have the Seahawks a little bit bigger favorite than this coming off the bye here against a just pretty bad all around Raiders team. It's interesting though, because the Seahawks, it, it's still just so hard to know what they are, to be honest. You know, I, I think we all know the Raiders are a bad team, uh, but we don't really know what the Seahawks are, uh, still because just as soon as they were looking like, okay, we have enough evidence. This is a pretty good team. They went down to Germany and just, just crapped the bed. Basically they played awful. Uh, that stats really don't tell the story of how they got buried in that game. Uh, I don't know whether to kind of blame that on the weird travel situation, having a poor game plan, I think was a pretty big part of it. I think if they just came out and threw the ball on the bucks, but they're just trying to pound the rock there. Um, but that, that could be a concern here. That's, that's the thing. Uh, the Raiders absolutely atrocious stopping opposing passing games, but they are pretty decent against the run. And I think that's always uh, a temptation for Pete Carroll is just to come out and be conservative and pound the rock. So um, I, I think really the only thing uh, I would be worried about if Seattle came out throwing the ball is, you know, the Raiders do have a couple good pass rushers, but man, Geno Smith has been so good under pressure this year. I, I kind of think the Seahawks should be bigger favorites, but not a chance I would, I would lay the points really. I'm just not that interested in betting this game. Maybe we can come together in our final kumbaya moment before the holidays for the final game of the week. Maybe not. We'll see. Mo, this is yours. It is the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles. They are going to be playing in the Sunday night football game this weekend. The Packers are coming off of a 27-17 a loss against the Titans with the Eagles just squeezing out a 17-16 win against the Colts last weekend. The Packers are seven-point dogs here, but Mo, you like this side. 
Yeah, I think I've been suspicious of the Eagles all year. I was not ever close to putting them in the top two of my power rankings when multiple people on the line's power rankings, not going to name any names, were putting the Eagles ahead of the Chiefs and Bills. I thought that was insanity, and there was a clear tier of top two Chiefs and Bills and then everybody else. Um, I kind of still think that, and... um, The Eagles are coming back to earth, now playing against reasonable competition. We're seeing and dealing with some injuries after they were very, very healthy in the early part of the season. Uh, I I think they've just feasted on just an incredibly soft schedule. And uh, not that the Packers are world beaters, but this is still a decent team. Um, And the Eagles are still not healthy. I think losing Dallas Goddard has been pretty big for them. He's just such a reliable target for Jalen Hurts and getting yards after the catch. His backups are Jack Stoll, who went to Nebraska. And let me tell you, I never imagined he was going to be having a pro career uh, like this. Um, Yeah, so I'm, I guess, just not impressed by what the Eagles are putting out there on offense the last few weeks. It it hasn't looked good. They're facing some tougher defenses. The Packers aren't quite as as good as the Colts and commanders probably, but I I do still really like this secondary. And um, I I think the Eagles are going to need to pound the rock here. And, Mm -hmm. and when you're pounding the rock and the other teams pounding the rock, which I think is what's going to happen when the Packers have the ball, because the we've seen me, me and Eli have been talking about it. This Philly run defense isn't good. Um, And I don't think there's too many, uh, running backs I'd rather hand the ball to against a bad rushing defense than Aaron Jones that guy is awesome he reads the field better than almost anybody and I think he's gonna find some lanes to run and if the Packers are keeping this close if both teams are moving the clock by running the ball because I don't think Jalen Hurts with this reduced uh, weapons that he has and and A.J. Brown not being 100 percent I don't think they're going to be able to just come out and blitz the Packers like they have blitzed some of those weaker teams in the early part of their schedule. Uh, I like what the Packers' offensive line has been doing. Um, they're sixth in rushing DVOA. I think they can stand up to this Eagles front. Um, very good at protecting Aaron Rodgers as well. Fifth in adjusted sack rate. I I think that the Packers can move the ball here with running and with throwing to tight ends and running backs and kind of stay away from the strongest points of this Eagles defense, which is um, their, their back four. Uh, so we've seen, even if the Packers get down, they're going to pound the rock. They did that against the bills and it helped them cover a spot where I'm not sure they deserved it. So uh, I, I did think this line should be six and I, I think plus seven is, is solid value here. Uh, just moving up to a key number, Packers playing for their season against a team that I'm not super impressed with. Eli, are you in agreement with this one? So I can't say we're going to end with our hypothetical kumbaya moment, Nicole. We tried. But I can't, yeah, but I can't bet the Eagles here. I'm with Mo that if you're going to bet this game, the Packers of the side. Not only have the Eagles taken advantage of that softer schedule, but Mo and I hit on this last week, kind of how we were touching on this earlier, how the Vikings are a little bit overvalued in the market, even though maybe the maybe to most point, the number has gotten too low with that spread for Vikes Pats this week. 
But the Eagles' run defense continues to be had. And we saw it last week against the Colts without Jordan Davis. Even before Davis went down, the rookie nose tackle out of Georgia, the Eagles were getting gashed on the ground. Still a bottom five rushing EPA, so opponents can generate explosive rushing plays. Packers want to run the ball. Now, the question is, can the Packers move the ball through the air enough? I know to most point that if Green Bay can establish the ground game and keep Hurts and this semi-explosive Eagles offense that may be, again, a little bit seen too much early season positive variance because of those turnovers and getting good field position because of it. But the way Rodgers looked on Thursday night against the Titans when he actually had time in the pocket and his receivers were creating separation... It's not that he didn't look disinterested, but he wasn't putting the ball on the money, which, again, you expect Rodgers to be least at fault when it comes to what we've seen for the Packers in the early portion to the middle part of the season where it was the Packers receivers not creating separation and him not having enough time in the pocket because of these opposing defensive fronts taking advantage of a banged-up Packers offensive line. So while... Green Bay should hypothetically be able to milk the clock here, kind of similar to my Giants point earlier. If they're able to hang around on the road in Dallas, I can't get behind Aaron Rodgers, not only at this point in the season, but at this point in his career. Maybe he he proves me wrong and hope he does for Moe's wallet. <laughs> As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. There will be no Thursday show this week because as we hope you are enjoying your Thanksgiving, we will be enjoying ours. And if you are betting on the games for this Thanksgiving or this weekend, good luck with your bets and we will see you next Tuesday.